Seva everybody welcome back to Sister Radio my name is Akinami and this is episode 9 it has been an extremely difficult time for us here in India we have yet again lost a sister a child she was just 19 and was brutally assaulted and murdered and yet again there are no answers provided to us let me just remind you that this is not a singular event we have been losing our sisters our daughters our family members at an epidemic scale there is a prevalent system that profits from the murder and rape of dalit bahujan adivasi and indigenous women and that system is the caste system There is absolutely no liberation without annihilation of caste. There is just no other way. If you are paying attention, please be mindful of not profiting of our grief. Do not take the space to use our pain to leverage your political motives. Listen to voices of Dalit women, listen to voices of Adivasi women, listen to voices of indigenous women, listen to voices of Bahujan women. This is the only answer. When I first started this podcast a few months back, it was to bring healing, to deal with the bleakness of the world. And now more than ever, I hope this episode brings you healing. to cope with such a difficult time i feel so blessed to share this space with my wonderful sister asinayat asinayat is the daughter of carol robin and jubi rita luptuk she is from inukjuak nunavik and lives in tiotiake so called montreal asinayat's works include filmmaking writing and curating she co-created Tilitanet a 3D festival celebrating Inuit art and artists Asinayat wrote and directed the beautiful and powerful and multiple award winning short film 3000 it's a short sci-fi documentary that traveled worldwide she also co-curated Isuma's show in the Canadian Pavilion at the 50th Venice Biennale Asinayat's performance video Rock Peace a Hudridi edition 2018 is currently touring art galleries and film festivals around the world. She's also one of the recipients of the prestigious Sobe Awards 2020. Let's start the conversation. Hello Asinayat, welcome to Sister Radio. It's so great to have you here. <laughs> Thank you for asking me and inviting me. I'm so grateful for you making time for us. I absolutely love 3000 and I cannot wait to hear from you. What were your thoughts that you put into it when you initially started working on the film? what were your intentions and everything about it really please tell us oh yeah for sure um yeah 3000 was like i went to university studying film and i had this idea my dad he's also a filmmaker 
His name's Jopi Vitalik-Tuk, and I worked with him as assistant director on one of his films just before I started film school. So I met his producer while working on that project and worked with her. Um, And I had this idea while I was in school studying that I heard and I wanted to ask her, does this seem like a film? I wasn't asking her for funding or to do it or anything. I was just asking her, um, does this sound like a film? And she was like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, whoa, I wasn't asking for that. I just wanted to know, you know. <laughs> um, and so we started um, making this 3000. And the original idea was to make, um, just with with archives, make a story that brought um, a, a character. I had centered it around one character from like the beginning of the archives to the present day and i wanted to do that because i found that like online i was like a tumblr kid and um online people would ask like if me and other inuit like if we were in igloos and like how we got internet in them and it's like horrifying (laughs) and i was like really thinking about those people i was like they need help um and i think that the only way to like really explain it is to make a visual document which shows how we're the same people and how our lives changed and how we live today so that was the original idea and then through development um the kind of like goal and mission of the film changed and in the final product it's really not for those people i was thinking of when i thought of the idea it's really for like my nieces and my family and it's really about the same thing but like yeah with a different heart i think so it's still about um what happened over this time Uh, with contact and with colonization how do we come from yeah how do we come from like these people that we know in our ancestors and how do we become the people we are today and really for like our own knowledge of our history and especially where we come from but also like the, i learned so much while working on that film by watching the archives it's pretty simple to come from the negative space like that we were colonized and so much was taken away from us and like it sucks and it's sad and I feel hurt. But when I was watching it, I saw so much strength and so much beauty. And of course, like we're strong people. That's why we're still here. And through the process of colonization, it was it was and remains impossible to take everything away from us. And I really became focused on the things that, like, no matter how much you teach someone how to speak your language or think your way, there's some things that, like, are so uh, embedded in culture that, like, you can't take it away. Like, one of those things for us, I think, is, like, you carry your baby on your back. Like you can't take that away. So even if you're doing all these other things, there are just like threads like that. 
And I think that's where I see like kind of it's like a some kind of like sheltered area from like all of the impacts of colonization. They're like little sheltered areas. And then I think like we use those to um, grow and to become strong again. When I first saw it, I couldn't stop thinking about um, time. Like, you know how the film moves? It's it's a short film. I think it's about 20 minutes. or 14, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> it's just like it moves in so many different directions. And yeah, and then like you see so much strength and people doing things like, you know, all the elders doing things and then there's that yeah there is documentation and then there is the lens of the colonizer wanting to document every little thing but then there's also knowledge keeping within that and that was so beautiful and how it ends also like there's a bit of like indigenous futurism and like imagine yeah. a world which is not very far from the world where our elders lived also so that complete bringing together it is so beautiful thank you yeah i was feeling like um one thing with the archives was i didn't want to focus on like the colonizers so i included them but didn't focus on them because it's like really about us and i also feel like because watching a world change in 10 minutes is like pretty heavy (laughs) Um, so I always think it's important if you're going to talk about something heavy to leave some kind of something to work for, something hopeful, um, because it's important to like get dirty and feel hurt. It's important. But I think whenever I feel that an artist leaves me on that note or only with that note, Um, like I'm already prone to nihilism. So if like, if you leave me there, it like just, it's so easy to go down that Mm -hmm. and to feel that and to feel low. And so it's like, I always feel like it's my responsibility if I'm taking people's time and taking them into my world and trying to share with them that like, it's my responsibility to try to leave you at least with something to like encourage you to like keep going and like keep your head up yeah Mm. yeah that's That's how i feel that's a lot of thought to put into when you're making this film in your early 20s well i think like when i was in film school and you know like yeah it's like in this climate so I, i was in film school i graduated less than 10 years ago i remember of course at this time in my own consciousness and also in the consciousness like global consciousness we're talking more about like representation in film and thinking a lot more about like who's allowed to make things and why and um thinking about like the voice of the artist and in my film school, I became very aware, kind of like towards the end of my schooling, that um, we never had to do like an ethics class in film. But if you're studying 
to get like a PhD or anything and you're trying to like make your thesis work, you have to go through ethics, which means that there's like, yeah, protocols to how you use your work, where you get your work from, those kinds of things. And when we're making a film, which like, hopefully if you're academic, lots of people read your work. I think a lot of people say that like not many people will read it. If you make a film, like I know that even like in film school, like over 300 people have seen any one of those films that I made. And I really like think about um, what you do and how that's like people's time and how people's time is precious. And also people's time isn't just their time. Like it's also mind and development and like brain food. So I just think that it's important to respect people. And yeah, I became, I was like pretty like, why don't we do ethics in film when you're in school? We never even talk about what kind of story you can tell. Like, where do you come from? Like, I think that's really important. And it was really frustrating to me that we never even discussed it <laughs> in classes. Yeah. Ah, yes, I totally. 100% agree with how important ethics is and with everything you said it is so important for makers to know the impact that their work could have on people and what is acceptable and what is not acceptable but I think it's not just for art practitioners and makers and artists but for everybody including journalists because I have been met with the strangest questions like once I was asked if all the people in my family are like me or are they still living in the jungle and sometimes it gets very difficult for me to navigate and talk to these people because I don't know if it is coming from a place of intended harm or it's just not knowing um, but in either case, like coming from South Asia where there is, isn't recognition of indigenous people and indigeneity to claim this space and take ownership and create a body of ethics and accepted morality and values is kind of hard because we do have operational terms like the scheduled tribes and the scheduled caste but we don't have indigeneity on paper. We do have it culturally because that's how oppression works. So there is a very clear divide economically and there is a very clear divide culturally. Yeah, but we do not have powers because of our sociological placement. Um, so we don't have power to set the narrative of what is okay and what is not okay. Uh, which is why it was very exciting for me to go to different countries and while traveling uh, have the opportunity to witness how indigenous peoples are coming together and creating a set of protocol of what is okay and what is not okay and embracing 
other indigenous makers and thinkers and I was very fortunate to have the council and the support and the community of Aboriginal Curatorial Collective when I was in Canada. It was so great to have their support because I was dealing with some really unfortunate things. And uh, there is, I think, a similar body in Australia as well. And there should be something in um, Aotearoa because Aotearoa is just like this super positive place for me and super inspiring. The power and the authority with which art practitioners, Maori art practitioners, operate in Aotearoa was just so inspiring for me to see how they um, share Maori philosophy. It was just so great, especially because I come from a place where we've lost everything, like a lot of things to genocidal violence, including language and songs and ceremony and so for me to see these practices um, like this practice is taking center stage when it came to creating and building community it was super affirming and inspiring to think of ways that we could do things as natives in South Asian region as well yeah yeah which is why like you know thinking about ethics or even like indigenous philosophies um it is something that it's very difficult for us to go back to because of thousands of years of colonization and different colonizers coming and all of the cultural genocide that we had to face and resist there's very little of what is left and even that has been extremely um, terribly appropriated and used even the term indigenous has been used by so many <laughs> colonizers and they have claimed the term and it's it's really a difficult time for indigenous peoples of South Asia because of all of these things and not having access to our knowledge systems. Yeah. 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 That's like one of the cool things I guess with the archive, like we can have that you can really see a lot and learn a lot and there's a lot of like information that's kind of accessible and I think it's the same here like I'm in New Zealand right now and they were colonized before us and I think like there isn't much in the way of an archive that would tell you a lot about time before There still is, like, um, I think uh, when I was in Aotearoa, when I got to Auckland, 
I was so surprised to see indigenous people everywhere. Like I shouldn't have been because <laughs> like you know, um, because it is an indigenous space, right? Like the, the entire island is supposed to be an indigenous space, but like my colonized mind. Like I got there and I was just so happy and I was like, yes, there are indigenous people everywhere because that never ever happens. Like you have to go looking for indigenous people and then like you find indigenous people and. Uh, yeah, so that is what I found very different traveling to um, Canada and then traveling to New Zealand. Did you find similar things yeah. like this? They are visually present everywhere. Like, you know, there's um, Amarai and there are Maori people. Yeah. Yeah, there are Maori yeah. and Moku. And it's just like, wow, <laughs> they are everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the one cool thing, because I also have like, facial tattoos that are Inuit um it's really cool being here because like in Montreal there's like not really many people with like facial markings and it's like pretty comforting to be here and to be like pretty like like of course it's not everyone but there's like quite a few people yeah it's awesome when did you get your markings uh, I got them just before I released 3000, mm-hmm. um, so it's like, I'm not sure. That was 2017 it was released, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yes, oh my goodness, it's so great, I love your markings, and I. it's just so amazing to see indigenous peoples, young indigenous peoples taking back their culture, I feel like there is a re-emergence. Yeah, there is for sure. For me, I think like I'm a pretty serious person and I take things pretty seriously. And I like, um, like one of my number one values is integrity. And when I was thinking about 3000, what it meant to me and like knowing that it's like a statement and that like I believe in actions and to me I couldn't conceive of a world where I could release that film and not um, have my tune so it was like if I'm gonna ask people to be proud of where they come from and to know their history um, then, then like I have to put my money where my mouth is, and I also like it was important to me to like let my community know that I'm like all in a hundred percent, like part of the team. Yeah, so that was my motivation. It's so breathtaking. You look stunning in your markings and. Yeah, it's there. It communicates with everybody. It is amazing. I'm sure that it inspires so many people to stand up for themselves, to take back their culture. One of my favorite things about traveling around the world to film festivals, um, especially to indigenous spaces, is like the kind of love that I've experienced is so unique and um, it's like 
where you experience love that doesn't inspire someone to want to like take your thing but like to be more of themselves and that's like I've experienced that from other people learning from them like wow you're so amazing like I like you know like it lifts me up in myself and it's not like I'm not trying to take someone else's identity their strength like encourages you to have your own strength and knowledge of your history and people and way of being. That's like, that was one of my favorite things of traveling. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's happened with me so many times and it does not have to be a well-planned, deliberate effort to lift each other up. I think it's just by default when you see someone just living in their indigenous skin and living indigenously unapologetically it is instantly affirming and uplifting and yeah it's an unmatched feeling it's a pure blessing and it has happened to me so many times i think it comes from the place of knowing that our ways of life has been faced with so many violent efforts of erasure and here we are just being true to ourselves and true to who we are and where we come from and yeah that is everything like it's courage and it's honesty and it's everything really it's just the most beautiful beautiful feeling we are halfway through and we haven't even spoken about where you are you are in Atarova what are you doing there uh yeah so I came here I was uh in Sydney to see the Sydney Biennial and then I decided to like just like jump over here for a week because my partner lives here that week turned out to be just like I got here in time for the lockdown <laughs> and so I did uh, I've been here since the end of March when we did yeah when we started lockdown and there we are <laughs> and how is the situation there now um right now so we had like over a hundred days of zero zero community transmission and no cases and then we got one more cluster now i think that transmission and cluster has stopped so now we've had a few days of no more community cases but there's cases coming in from people like coming into the country but they're all in quarantine it's been pretty good i felt pretty safe i like needed to go home for a while but it's scary to go on an airplane I don't want to go on an airplane. <laughs> it's scary, like, in Montreal, where I'll go back to. Now they're in, like, Red Alert again. So they're kind of, like, shutting down a bit again. So, yeah, the prospect of, like, being here where I can, like, just put sanitizer on and do most things, like, without a mask. <laughs> I'm like, mm, I'm going to wait as long as possible to not have to do that. <laughs> that is such a dream, like. I don't remember when it was the last time I left home without wearing a mask. It's become a habit now. Even leaving the house, like I hardly ever leave 
yeah don't know it feels like you're talking about a whole different world it's been a very scary time like the past few months i've been like super anxious to make sure that i'm healthy because i know that if i get sick then i'll not be getting proper care yeah and these are not unfounded because of the kind of treatment we have been given as indigenous peoples uh, not just here though like indigenous peoples everywhere like internationally i was also thinking about uh, how it must be for the indigenous peoples in turtle island especially with the documented documented history of the use of epidemics by the colonizers yeah it is scary when it's like um maybe a easy way to get rid of you instead of giving you proper things it's okay <laughs> and i think that's why so many communities worked really hard to like shut down borders and leave no potential for it to enter mm yeah tell me about your growing up how was it where did you grow up was it in your community Yeah. Well, when I was a baby, so I was born in Kujuak, which is just like on the other side of Nunavik from Inukjuak where my family is from, and was a baby there, um camping, fishing, all that good stuff with my family. And then my parents, I have two older brothers, so my parents had to make a kind of really hard decision about our schooling. They decided that they wanted us to go to school in the south rather than in town and i loved reading so much i read so many books and i also played so many sports i remember my mom made me and my brothers cook a meal every week even when i was like 6 7 years old i would make like when i was really little i would make like pizza and just put it in the oven with my brother's help <laughs> Um, and then I got like a bit older and I would make like hamburger helper um with my brother's help cuz like I'm not allowed to like turn the oven on or anything. <laughs> and then I was so busy playing sports that I didn't even make like dinners anymore or even hardly eat dinner at home. What a perfect childhood. <laughs> and when did you decide to go to uni and study filmmaking? When I was growing up, me and my dad would we would like go for drives and bring our cameras and like go for a walk, film and take photos. For one of my birthdays, they even like got me a camcorder. Me and my best friend at the time would make so there's like Andy Warhol exhibition in Montreal when I like 14, 15. Um me and my best friend were obsessed with the videos that he made. Yeah, we loved those. So, um we did interviews with each other and like like with that style. And then I was in school, we have Sija, and I was doing like kind of like social studies thing. I was also doing like printmaking and photography. and unfortunately at that time one of my like best friends um committed suicide and i like completely kind of shut down i was like i was in the zone where i was like just like feeling great and everything seemed to be in order and then i got this like horrible news and i couldn't believe how 
my one of my best friends was like living in the complete opposite world of pain and so that really like shook me and I developed like really severe anxiety and at that time the only class I could go to was my printmaking class. I loved it. I did extra time there and I knew that I just wanted to work with my hands. So I wanted to go to a craft school and I went to the New Brunswick College of Craft and Design and I like told my teachers that I had anxiety and that I might like run out of their class. One of like the first classes that I had there, I started to have a anxiety attack and the teacher just took me outside, helped me like ground myself. And it was amazing. And that was like the only time that I had anxiety there. Um, so for that year, I was able to like learn how to do lots of cool things with my hands, like pottery, weaving, jewelry. And of course there was like a of a video class in the video class I like so overdid all my projects that the teacher was like listen I think you should go to this school over here and study film you know and like you kind of know something and someone says it so you're like you can accept it right away you're like yes <laughs> I really felt like a failure for a while because I felt like I could never imagine seeing my life have a positive outcome or do something that I really loved because I think for a while I didn't know what that would look like. I'm really happy that I had support from my family and everyone around me too um, because I could never imagine what I get to do and how it can be so fulfilling for me and I also think it's positive for hopefully my community. Yeah, I feel really lucky. Of course! <laughs> I'm so happy you're making all the works that you're making and I definitely don't think that it is just sheer love. For us, for a lot of indigenous women, our works are just discounted as luck or ticking a box but we often have to do twice, thrice the works that other people do us to appear anyway yeah no really your works are so uplifting even for me a native person coming from so far away it was so lovely to see you in your work and when you were talking about your work you being so vulnerable and when your voice broke it was the first time i was seeing someone who was standing in such a big platform and yet open to being vulnerable and sharing and that was really something to be so soft while talking about something which is so hard and has the capacity to really break us. <laughs> I think it's like um, when it comes to like sharing myself or like closing myself off with like you know rooms full of people I always feel like even though like I don't want to like share all of myself I really want to share like as much as I can because sharing emotions with people and emotional moments and like real feelings I think is important I think what it also does is kind of sets a new precedence of how makers can also interact with people because it's kind of like tiring to see how there is this air of professionalism and prim and properness but there isn't any honesty when it comes to interactions between makers and people 
Yeah, but it could also very well be because the space there was a native space and it was full of native people, so it's a whole different thing altogether. I think that's true. Because if I'm in a room filled with like filled with people in Germany, for example, it's like not going to be the same. I can feel comfortable assuming that there's a certain level of experience that everyone in a room and I'm native will understand. How is it going in Aterowa? Are you working on something? What is it that you're doing there? Tell us. Here, what I'm doing is doing a lot of gardening. We're growing lots of like potatoes and we have a cat and a dog that aren't friends and might kill each other. So it's like that's like an everyday navigation. And I try to like sneak in my work. For a while, I've been working um, on a film about my late uncle, Daniel Italto, um, which... I was supposed to film this summer, but of course there I was stuck here. That project's a little bit on hold, but I'm really excited about it. And then I'm working on curation projects. So there's the Inuit Art Center in Winnipeg that's being built myself. Uh, Heather Iguliorte, Kablusiak, and Krista Uluyuk-Zarawaski are all Inuk women from different regions in the Canadian Arctic. And we're doing the show together, So, um, but I think that show will be beautiful, so I'm excited for that, for whenever we get to open that. Sounds so great, both the film and the show that's coming up really exciting do you have a word of advice for young indigenous female filmmakers well my advice is to be patient with yourself and take your time you have your whole life to um, make beautiful work and to like figure out who you are and what your voice is and there's no rush and the like slower you take it and the more you listen to yourself in the process the stronger your work will be and the more I think that you'll find yourself in the right place that's my advice (laughs) and learn about yourself then you'll see what your voice is and where it's most useful for you and for your community so that's why i think it like takes time and when you really find your voice it makes like a meaningful lasting impact wow that is so profound you are so wise thank you so much Ashinayat, for this and i know you love reading suggest some books please to our listeners I love reading, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So first of all, one of my favorite authors, just like in general, all of her books, is um, Helen Oyeyemi. I love the way she writes. She writes fairy tale kind of like stories, but like the meaning and all of the heart in it and, and also the playfulness and like illustrativeness of the word. She's amazing. And a book that like blew my mind, Citizen by Claudia Rankine. In the opening of that book, the like first quote is actually from a film, which is one of my favorite films, um, Sunless by Chris Marker. And the way that the film starts is it says, if they don't see the 
like happiness at least they'll see the black and that's in the context of like a black screen and like the way of like editing images together and from like the perspective of a black author using that like quote in a book that's about blackness anti-blackness and like black liberation it's like completely like flipped the meaning on its head of like that like beautiful tender opening line from this film and like yeah that like blew my mind just like that's like the first page and like the rest of the book is just as amazing ariel twist has a book called disintegrate dissociate mind-blowing amazing and then my other friend um lindsay nixon uh, wrote a book weird it's such a weird balance of like vulnerable but also like really smart sweet excellent are there any films you would want to suggest to our listeners Probably everyone's already watching Agnes Varda, but if you aren't, then you should be. Thank you for such wonderful recommendations. Is there a charity you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, well, right now in Montreal, the Native Women's Shelter is doing a virtual spirit walk. So usually every year they do a spirit walk and we go walk on the mountain and then this year it's virtual uh, it's going on right now and i think it's like you sign up donate 20 dollars, and then like take a picture of yourself walking but the women's native shelter people that i know and love have really greatly benefited and have changing moments there so it's really important to me uh, it would be really cool for people to check that out yeah it sounds so great the virtual walk and also the actual walk, both of it. Sounds amazing. Thank you for sharing that. The last question is, how can one be a sister supporter? By, I think that support comes through like taking time to hold space for each other, being patient with each other, and like turning up for each other. That is such a great advice. Thank you so much for joining us today. You are so insightful and wise and amazingly creative and super inspiring. I'm so glad to know you and share space with you. Thank you for making time for us and for this amazing, uplifting conversation. I had so much fun talking to you. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Good night. You just heard a conversation between me, Akitami, and my sister, Asinayat. If you'd like to support Sister Library, please check out the crowdfunder in the show notes. If you'd like to follow Asinayat's works, please check out her social media links in the show notes as well. Sister Radio is a podcast supported by Pro Helvetia India, the Swiss Art Council. Music for Sister Radio is composed by my lovely sister Shasha Patel. Thank you again for joining us. I'll see you soon. Until then, keep celebrating women.